ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green, joined, as always, by Brett Barry. And, Brett, there's not a lot in the way of big news this week. At least, we're recording this on Wednesday. Nothing's really happened today. But since we did last record Arizona football, one, more players are back on campus because all the initial players, the initial group of like 20 or so, all tested negative for COVID-19. That's good. That's really good because there's a lot of football programs around the country, a lot of sports around the country who can't say the same thing. But they welcome more players back, and also in the last week, they've welcomed now two more commitments for the 2021 class. Uh, quarterback was the big one, Clay Millen, who's a three-star, a four-star, depending on how you view him. He's a pretty damn good quarterback commitment for them. Then they got a linebacker, Matthew Weertz, who committed just a couple days ago. Arizona's recruiting has, well, it's picked up from where it started from the beginning of May, and all of a sudden the Wildcats are still, I think, ranked sixth in the Pac-12 for the 2021 class. So, hey, we'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you said no news today. The news for us is that I have at least some semblance of my technology working again <laughs> and better audio quality. So the downside, the good news Don't is jinx it, man. Sound We're not done recording yet. <laughs> <laughs> the downside is now I'll have much more cr crystal clear noise when I listen to hate the sound of my own voice. So that's yeah. the downside, I suppose. But no, yeah, uh, I mean, we looked fairly uh, prescient with the timing of our pod last week, talking about Clay Millen uh, with, with our friend Brett, Gabe Encinas. Before, you've already patted yourself on the back for technology working. We're a minute into the show. Now we're patting us on the back for having Gabe on Leslie Talk Recruiting. Stop! So much could go wrong right now. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it alone. Fair enough. Hey, man, we got to cling to good news in 2020 right now. That's that's true. So with that in mind, yeah, I mean, the the recruiting class, the uh, the reports of your Arizona football recruiting being dead were, uh, shall we say, exaggerated like a month ago. Maybe not such a good take anymore as, you know, we've got what had in June, what, six commits, maybe seven commits just in this month, maybe more. I, I forget when the first one was. Uh, but, you know, Clay Millen, you got to like, you know, you want to have a quarterback every class in general, right? So now you look at what we have on the roster, and you feel pretty good about the future uh, with what with what you have. Um, you certainly feel better. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah th that's fair. I mean, but let's be real. We're not going to get the Trevor Lawrence quarterback commits. I mean, we did for a while have Shea Patterson committed when he was like 13 years old and we hired his <laughs> older brother for that like six-month period. And his film looked great as a teenager. <laughs> um, but, you know, things changed and we didn't get him. No, to your point. But, like, you know, over... Oh, oh go ahead. I'll say Arizona's recruiting class right now and it's it's the end of June, right? There's a, <laughs> there's a lot that has to happen, one, to fill out this recruiting class for Arizona and other schools are going to fill out their recruiting classes, and they'll have to make it to signing day and sign with Arizona. Like, there's a lot that has to happen. Right now, Arizona's recruiting rank for 2021 is 66th in the country. Nothing to brag about, nothing to write home about. Sixth in the Pac-12, which, again, on the surface, is nothing to brag about, nothing to write home about. But given that Arizona was last in the Pac-12, and when you put that together, especially Arizona's the last Power 5 school to have a commitment for 2021, that on its own in a vacuum wasn't the end of the world because they were going to get commitments. We knew that. It wasn't like Arizona was going to go this entire season without a commitment for 2021. But that fact on the heels of a four-win season where your head coach was probably going to get fired if Arizona could have come up with enough money to fire him and hire a replacement, just so much bad vibes, so much just bad news around the program. There was no hope. There was no feeling of optimism because even this upcoming season, people like Grant Cannell. They might like some individual pieces on the team, but it wasn't anyone saying, well, that program's heading in the right direction. 
now with nine commits, they're not the best commitments in the country. Like this isn't a top 10 class where we're saying, wow, how are they doing that? But in a way for Arizona, the run they've been on the recruiting trail and getting guy Clay Millen, who had opportunities for other schools, Colorado, Oregon was in on him, Oregon State. He's a Northwest kid, a Seattle kid. That says something. And he committed to Arizona. He likes someone. He likes Noel Mazzoni, who gets a lot of crap from people. But one of the things Millen said that he was intrigued by, I read it somewhere where he said that, you know, they showed that every quarterback that they've coached has been to the NFL, you know, has made it to the NFL, although one of them made it as a receiver. But, <laughs> but just that thing where it shows a little bit of these players are having, they have some faith in this coaching staff. And maybe, like maybe they'll end up flipping to someone else down the road. We don't know. And maybe this class, we're going to be overrating it. But for right now, where Arizona was two months ago and where Arizona's trajectory is, it looks like it's on the way up with this class, which, again, isn't a top five, top 10, top 20 class. But where it's at right now, you'll absolutely take that. Yeah, this class, um, you know, taking what we talked to Gabe about, where maybe there's some guys that are underrated a little bit. And we don't know, you know, you talked about it's a, there's a, there's a difference between getting a commitment and then getting them to sign on the dotted line and getting them to show up on campus or even having a 2020 football season at this rate. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, just because of coronavirus. But, you know, that we don't know how it's going to play out. It might for some of these underrated guys, if you want if you want to believe that they're underrated hidden gems, the fact that these guys aren't going to be out there on the recruiting circuit and going to these camps might help us in terms of keeping them from flipping. Right. Uh, you know, to the the guys that the programs that did their homework are going to be maybe rewarded in this year's class more than most than the ones that just show up late and say, hey, I'm a big name. Come here. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, we don't know until we get there. You know, I trust Gabe's opinion uh, in general. You know, he, he I do know that he independently goes and looks at these guys and kind of makes his own assessment. But to me right now, this class has has a little bit of the it has a feel to it like the 2019 class did which i you know the early returns on that was the you know we got the grant grinnell that like high three low four star quarterback you got a lot of defender guys you got uh defensive guys you got some you you got some size we're not going the rich rod small guy recruits no more okay and geez. that night that yeah, that 2019 class, it wasn't ranked that highly, but that was also because there it was not a large class. I think there was not nearly the ability to fill it with 25 guys. I think it had like 18 or 19 guys, and that that matters um, in terms of those overall rankings, and that's where you can like look at their average rate ranking because like, you look at that class, you got Jalen Curry, Grant Cannell, Bobby Wolf, uh, Christian Nolan Wallace, Tapusoa. Um, I think Trayvon Mason was a part of that class. You know, there was Jordan Morgan, there's guys on there that weren't even that highly rated, but they're pretty. They they seem pretty. The early returns are positive, and that's kind of the sense I'm getting from this class. And, and that you class that, helped Arizona to win four games. <laughs> well, they're, I'm just as, saying. I know as, they're freshmen, or yeah, freshmen. You know, it's that was. You know, I've I've been a person on it where I've been talking for a while that you want to have a high batting average on, as as a program like Arizona. You can't afford to not um, because if you don't have depth, that's that's how you go from winning six, seven games. So that's how you win three, four games. Right. Right. Um, and that getting Clay Millen, you know, don't underestimate the value of having a pretty solid quarterback um, in the sense of him, him now being able to help pull in other recruits like Grant Gunnell did with Booby Curry. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's going to make a difference. No. And that, that's absolutely true. And that, that's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to, like dog on this class because one, it's not complete, and two, again, we don't know who's going to make it to signing day. But just the the momentum seems to be there, especially when you can get that quarterback who his brother plays for Oregon. He was his dad played in the NFL. Like Millen is a guy who could have gone to a few other places. I mean, now these guys had to even sign or commit right now. They could have waited and seen what the offseason brought them in terms of the circuits. But they have some confidence in Arizona, like the offers, like what the coaches have been selling them. And Kevin Summer, there was an Arizona, I guess, I don't know if it's a roundtable that someone was a part of last week where it was him, Sean Miller, Dave Hickey, Adia Barnes. Um, I think Mike Candrea was on that too. And they were just talking about different things. And someone mentioned how it's been tougher for them to recruit because obviously they can't bring kids on campus and show them around. They can't have them around the players and things like that. Where if you remember, Rich Rodriguez always used to say that if they could just get these guys on campus, they'd have a really good shot at securing a commitment 
where they don't even get these guys on campus. I think Clay Millen, he did say he went down with his family and just walked around. Not Nothing official. It wasn't even an unofficial visit. They were still on vacation to Tucson, which I guess some people do. Um, but it's the type of thing where they're still, whatever it is, like it's purely the coaching, the scheme, and showing these guys that, hey, you come to Arizona, we can help develop you and get you to the NFL, which is you'd think it'd be a tough sell right now. Because, again, Arizona's won nine games over the last two seasons. This coaching staff is not exactly secure in their jobs, and yet they're finding a way to convince these kids. And I'm not saying like they're doing anything bad. Like it, Everything's out there, right? They know what Arizona's done the last couple of seasons. Everyone knows that. It's not like, oh, yeah, we, we want to go to Arizona because they were competing for Rose Bowls. Like, everyone knows that. Nothing, nothing's hidden from them. But whatever these coaches are telling them, whatever they're selling them on, whether it's a scheme for maybe Clay Millen, whether it's playing time for some of these linebackers and defensive players, whatever it is, it is working. And again, this isn't this isn't a class that's going to be at least where it's at right now. And it could be a, pro- a program changing one if these guys pan out. If more of them pan out, like you say, a high batting average, it would really help them. But just to me, the excitement again, I wrote about this for AZ Desert Swarm, is just the feeling about the program. Where two months ago it was well, like well, who cares if there's not a season? This coaching staff won't make it anyway. They're going to be bad. And, and these guys that they got committed, they're not going to change the trajectory of this season. But just where the program is, it's nice to see players committing to them because you could find a dozen reasons for to say you should not go to Arizona. And other schools are recruiting them. Arizona wasn't the only offer these guys had, and they chose the Wildcats. So that it feels good. Now, f- feelings don't win games, especially in June, but it feels good to see the program finding success off the field when they haven't had it on the field. Yeah, and I think it's a testament, especially to the new defensive staff. What is it? Seven of nine commits so far, I think, are on the defensive side of the ball, which Lord knows that's where we need a talent infusion, especially at certain positions. Um, So, you know, we talked about what do you want out of this defensive staff? You want it to be successful. They need to be able to recruit effectively and develop guys and identify talent. And it seems like... So far, they're going according to that plan. Now we'll see what happens when they try to implement a new scheme with all their guys and what what happens on the field is what matters. But, you know, trust the process, as Joel Embiid would say. (laughs) It gives you the impression, too, where if Arizona Arizona was a 4-1 and football team last season before it all fell apart, but if the recruiting continues on the way it is, like I'm not saying great, they're going to adding a bunch of 4-5 and stars from here, but they can keep getting players, high three stars, maybe underrated players, which from places like Texas seems possible. I know Weirtz is from Illinois, so the footprint Arizona has is getting to be pretty wide. But if they can get off to a good start in the 2020 season, it gives you the idea that maybe they could continue to build on this because it's not like they're starting at the bottom with this recruiting class. They're not getting the dregs of the circuit, right? They're getting players who, again, other schools were after. Arizona had to compete to woo these guys and win them over to bring them to Arizona. So if Arizona can play well, if the Wildcats can have a good start and there's this belief that, hey, Kevin Sumlin has things going in the right direction, not only that, but he's going to be around, then would help that coaching staff because all these defensive coaches, they're brand new. They're selling these players on a style, on a vision that they haven't been able to show on the field. So when they can show that and say, hey, look what we're doing here with this team that was the worst defense in the conference the last couple of seasons, and now they're competent, imagine what can happen when you come in here it will become good. But you have to see it. So they're doing all this for these players. The only thing these guys have seen about Arizona in recent history was not good. <laughs> and yet they're buying into it. And that to me says something. Because, again, no, no one's lying to them. No one's saying, oh, yes, we've been great the last two years. Come to Arizona and you're the missing piece to our Rose Bowl team. Like, obviously, no, that, no one would buy that. But whatever it is that they're saying to these kids, it's working. It's convincing them that Arizona is the right place for them. So... I like to see that. I do. Because even if you were the biggest Kevin Sumlin like, fan, you understand it's not a great situation in Tucson until maybe the next time they take the field and all of a sudden it's better. Yeah, and the, the nice thing is now that you have, let's call it the, the, the foundations of a, a solid base of the class, right? Now you can spend, once you have some bits locked in, then you then you can try to start going in and putting more effort on some of those higher end targets and swing for the fences a little bit more. Uh, but you know, I I personally like the approach so far in the class. Uh, I see it filling a lot of needs, and we'll maybe go into that as we kind of move to the depth chart. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but 
I think it's clear that there's a <laughs> the the sign that says plenty of playing time available to defensive players is probably an effective message right now. Yeah. Oh, it has to be right. <laughs> players want to play, and if you're Arizona, you want to get the right guys, and that's. We've talked about it on the show before the players that Rich Rodriguez was recruiting and the types that Kevin Sumlin and his staff have been going after in a lot of ways couldn't be more different, which makes sense. You recruit players to your scheme, and Rich Rodriguez's scheme differs from Kevin Sumlin's. But if you look at the players Arizona has committed, well, you can just look at the ones they've brought in over the last couple of seasons, the ones that are Kevin Sumlin recruits, you see the size and you see the high ceilings. And some of them have a higher floor. They look like that guy should be able to contribute at some point. But you see the types of things where, like, Clay Millen is one of the top pro-style quarterbacks. You know, and that's the type of, they say pro-style, why? Professional. That's the type of player who that <laughs> style fits the NFL. And some of these other guys, Cole Batson's a 6'4", 190-pound athlete. Like, that's good size. Colby Cage, 6'2", 205. Jackson Bailey, 6'1", 220 as a linebacker. You know, Kevin Garcia, 6'2", 215. And they're going to get bigger, these guys. They'll get stronger as they get older and get in the weight room. But you see that the type of player they're going after is the type of player who could develop and do something at least Pac-12 level and possibly more. If they are underrated, under recruited, like Gabe last week talked about how he likes this class more than maybe the rankings do. And I have a hard time believing that this entire class of three stars should really be four stars or things like that. But I do. I am a big believer in when it comes to football, the right coaching, the right system can watch, see a guy become better than their ranking that there are more misses in football than any other sports. So that's not to say, I don't know, I'm not going to look at this and say, well, that guy's better. I know Gabe knows more than I do. He mentioned a couple of guys he's a big fan of that he thinks will be the better players in this class. But certainly there is room for, if you trust Kevin Sumlin and his staff's evaluation of players, which maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't at this point. But if you believe that they can evaluate talent, then it shouldn't shock you if there's some talent in this class so far. Yeah, and I, I think I think so. I I'm not the person that's going to say that stars don't matter when it comes to recruiting because it does. But you know, I'm on the record saying I'd rather have 20 high three stars from Texas that all are contributors. Like, you know, Trayvon Mason's not going to the NFL, but that guy was a hell of a productive player last year, right? If you had a defensive line with guys that were producing like that, you can coach your way to a competent team. The problem is when you have the swing and a miss guys. The you know, I'm imagining the the high three star guy kid from Tucson that medically retired early. Um, the defensive tackle. Ah, and uh, I mean, how many? We went through the list uh, last week of like the, the the highest rated class where eight of the top ten guys didn't do anything really, yeah, right? Yeah. And if you, you you just you can't have that. You can't have a class where three years later you have three guys that are getting snaps, right? You can't have ready short be a low four-star, and he hasn't even seen the field as a special team player, right? Like, that's you can't have that. You, you can't have those swings and misses. You need to have production. And you, it feels like in this class, like you're, you've got some upside, but you also have guys that you feel confident are going to be productive. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's just it. And that's how you build a winning, that's how you build a winning team in the, in the long run. Yeah, well, you look at the 2017 class. So that was Rich Rodriguez's last class. Nathan Tilford was the top-rated guy. He's been underwhelming. He's starting to carve out a little bit of a role, but he's been underwhelming. He's not this go-to, you know, every-down bell cow type of running back. Jalen Harris was next. He's been fine, high expectations, nothing. He hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been an elite type of player. Colin Schooler was third. He's been every bit as good as you hope. Tony Fields was behind him. But yeah, then Reddy Short was behind him. So you need to hit on some guys, and there's going to be players in every class that outperform their star ratings. Like, that's just how it works. But you do have to figure that the more players that someone in his staff recruit, the more likely they are to fit the team. There are certain positions, like Anthony Pandy, I know someone talked about, is going to have a big role this season. He was one of the lower-rated recruits in Rich Rodriguez's last class. But the coaching staff sees potential there, sees talent. He's been pretty good and will have a bigger role for him. So the chances of these guys hitting as three stars and outplaying that ranking I think are higher, given that they're being recruited to play a certain system like the system they're going to play. Whereas before, maybe they were recruited to fill a different kind of style. These guys are recruited to fill roles on this team. Holes that this coaching staff sees will be there. Like you mentioned, the defensive guys, there's going to be a lot of spots open next season on the defensive side of the ball. So they're recruiting guys for that reason. You know, the players that they say, 
that person can fit. This guy can be our new linebacker. This guy can be a safety force. This one can be a cornerback. So their potential, their likelihood of being better than their ranking, I think, is higher. But if nothing else, and I keep going back to it because it's how I feel, we don't know how these guys, how good these guys will be. We don't know how good anyone will be. But perception matters. And two months ago, the perception of Arizona football was, Jesus, no one wants to play there. <laughs> like They're the last pack Power 5 school to have a commitment. No one wants to play with Arizona. And as much as, as hyperbolic as that statement is or was, who could argue? Like You could sit there and say, why would anyone want to go there? Why would a top quarterback recruit want to go there instead of maybe Colorado, who I know need to find a new coach, but Colorado in some ways has been better than Arizona? Or maybe Oregon State with Smith, who seems to be on the rise. Like, why wouldn't you go there? But now Arizona's been getting some wins on the recruiting trail, and it continued over this last week with Clay Millen, which was a big one. Matthew Weirtz, the linebacker from Illinois. It's nice, and they're in on more guys. If you look at all the boards or even Desert Swarm, AC Desert Swarm, they talk about some of the players that Arizona's in on, more defensive guys mostly. And it's it's recruiting. It's not ending. It's never going to end. But as long as Arizona keeps getting players, then that momentum continues to build. Yeah, it, you, as an Arizona Wildcat fan, you certainly feel more optimistic, uh, to your point, than you did a month ago, right? And, you know, I'm the person that always is the old man that says it's never as good or as bad as it seems. And I, I feel a little bit vindicated in that because now it's like, Oh, Hey, now we got the makings of something maybe. Right. Yeah. But it's still early. We need, we still need to fill out the class. We still need to hopefully have a season. Not, you know, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, and you know, learn an entirely new defensive system somehow before the season starts and whatever that season looks like. But yeah, you the the narrative feels a little bit better. There's at least green shoots of optimism, even if you don't necessarily have high expectations. Yeah. Anyway, Brett, that's pretty good. I think recruiting not bad. We're gonna take a quick break, but before, when we come back, we're gonna talk about a position group that maybe has us optimistic about the 2020 season, but certainly not the 2021 season. So we'll talk about that right after this break. Welcome back, and Brett, we teased it in a really awkward and clunky way, as I am prone to do um, before the break, <laughs> but Arizona, we've done a lot of position group breakdowns because, one, there's not a ton going on this offseason, and two, we want to look at this football team because we've given the impression, I think, that they might be better than their projected win total, which is around five games, and one reason I think that we might be right is the linebackers. Whereas the defense, it's, it's funny because you look at their defense. We talk about their cornerbacks, not bad. Talk about their safeties, not there. And <laughs> linebackers, there's some experience and there's talent amongst this team's linebackers where you say, you know what, at least they're starters. That could work. Yeah, let's, uh, so for, let's start with the inside linebackers, shall we? Let's. So I, I think the inside linebackers are the the position group that most says you know the casual fan says oh we're great and then you look down a depth chart and me being the person that's always perpetually concerned about depth <laughs> I go oh god what happens when one of them gets a concussion or sprains an ankle because we got Colin Schooler Walking and Tony off. Fields <laughs> uh, you know Colin Schooler and Tony Fields those are your, those are your likely starters at the inside spots right great seniors seniors productive yeah, you're fine there you like uh, that. you got Di and then you got darian clark who i don't even know if he i think he played a little bit maybe on like special teams and maybe got a few snaps um as a freshman but he's a sophomore he's their backup and that's about it at middle linebacker unless somebody's going to move from their normal position on the outside uh you know jabbar triplet was going to be an incoming freshman uh from i believe louisiana but mm -hmm. then he tore his achilles so you know, pending uh, the delay of it, any delay of the season, you know, for maybe we play football in the spring and he has a chance of playing, but I doubt it. Um, you know, so you don't count on him. And then then that leaves you wondering if, you know, what happens if there's an injury? I think somebody's having to move. Right. Because uh, we got if you, you know, before I, before we jump to the outside linebackers, I would say, like, you feel good about inside linebackers at the starters and then your depth, you're highly concerned but you do have some depth maybe to pull from on the outside linebacker spot, but 
This is one of those good news, bad news situations at the inside linebackers for me. What do you think, Adam? Well, it's different, too, with this new defense, with them going to more of a 3-4 type of defense. You definitely need two middle linebackers on the field at the same time, and we have to see what the Rhodes defense looks like in terms of their specific roles. But, yeah, you nailed it because, well, as Colin Schooler and Tony Fields aren't the big names, they're not in line for, like, the Butkus Award or anything like that. They're not Scooby Wright type of numbers. You could do a lot worse than those guys as seniors. They're the two leading tacklers last season. You can each get after the quarterback a little bit. Like, I'm totally comfortable with them being there. In fact, I'm like, that's as exciting a middle linebacker duo as Arizona's had, I think, in a while. Again, not necessarily individually, even though Schooler has been really good. Fields was great as a freshman, had a little bit of a slump as a sophomore, and came back as a junior as being good again. But behind them, there is certainly not a lot that you can feel good about. Not because there's no possibilities there, but to your point, there's not really any experience behind them. So would that mean someone like Anthony Pandy would be a middle linebacker? Like You can move guys around if you have to, but the hope is you don't have to do that. And fortunately, Schooler and Fields have been pretty durable throughout the course of their time at U of A. But obviously, every player is one play away, one step, one tackle away from at least some kind of injury that would keep them out. So I, I think you nailed it. One thing about it, I mean, Fields is an NFL potential type of guy. Schooler will be able to look, I'm sure, as well, maybe – I think there was an article about Tony Fields being one of those overlooked guys who people don't say, that's an NFL caliber talent right there. So if you're Arizona, you feel really good about your starting middle linebackers going into this season. Of course, again, and we've talked about it, they're seniors. So the fact that there's no one behind them, you say that's the next man up, that's the guy who would take their place, <laughs> might be why Arizona's recruiting has been pretty good defensive side of the ball, but it's also <laughs> why there's, there's a lot of focus on that position. Yeah, we will be taking all of the linebackers in our coming class. Um, also, I look at this depth chart and I go, uh, are there still transfer, like grad transfer options available out there? Because I'd love to have somebody just as a, you know, a little bit of a security blanket there. With some experience, um, right? Like you just want someone who has yeah, some experience. Exactly. But then again, if you're a grad transfer, you probably want to play. And you're not coming to Arizona to sit behind Colin Schooler and Tony Fields as a middle linebacker. I think what Arizona needs is the equivalent of what they the who was that um, Shap, Cody Apolito, the Chaparral linebacker that was under recruited and played here was fairly I liked productive, him. He and was then it was a grad transfer. Yeah, but he went and was like, I want to go to a bigger program for his last year, and you know, like, he, I don't think he expected to start, and I don't think he did. I forget where he ended up at, but like, you need somebody that's like that, be like, you're gonna get snaps, you know. Um, I'm actually really, really intrigued at how the new defensive coaching staff in a 3-4 scheme uses Tony Fields because he seems at his best, you know, as he's kind of like an undersized linebacker and too slow to play safety, uh, you, you know, but at least at at least at the next level. But he kind of is like, he's a disruptive guy that I think can be a rover around the field, not, you know, this is an unfair comparison, but to like an Isaiah Simmons type person who can like, just kind of move around and disrupt That's the That's a really right? unfair comparison. I, I, I meant only in and how I'm not sure for whom it's the most game. unfair. <laughs> but no, probably, you, probably Isaiah Simmons. To your point, though, and that's one thing we have to see with this defense. Like not all three, four defenses are created equal. And we don't know what Paul Rhodes is going to look like. And the best coaches utilize their talent in ways that helps them be better, right? You adjust your scheme a little bit, but... With this team where they've gone, I think, was Arizona more of a 3-3-5 three, three, under um, Marcel Yates and more of a 4-3? Like, you have an extra linebacker on the field now, so it changes the dynamic of what type of players you need to recruit and what skill sets you need out there. So, I, I like that idea. Tony Fields is that guy. Like, I like him in that role. He's fast, and he's a good, sure-handed you know, sure tackler. Like, he's... Again, I have no issue with Tony Fields and Colin Schooler being their middle linebackers. Like, how they deploy yeah. either of them, they can each rush the quarterback, they can cover a little bit, they're good tacklers, they're smart players. Again, two senior middle linebackers in a 3-4, you can't do much better. You can't ask for more than that. You know, these guys have yeah, seen I, a lot out there. Yeah, I think uh, I think technically Marcel Yates said he ran a 4-2-5. I would call it a 4-2-5-15 with the 15 being 15 yards off the receivers <laughs> on the outside. Yeah, and I guess when um, you say like a four-two-five or a three-four, like guys move around, right? You're not just not going to have three down linemen yeah. and four linebackers standing up or anything like that. But well, and 
in in this kind of three four scheme, you know, Colin Schooler is the more typical middle linebacker type, like not necessarily great straight line speed, but he's got that tackling machine, you know, run stuffer type middle linebacker. Tony Fields is the guy that's a little bit more athletic, a little more kind of flies around the field. Just like, I mean, Colin Schooler flies around the field, but it's more in that bruiser mentality. Tony Fields is more like the guy that just wants to go hit you in the mouth. Right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how they all fit together. Um, it's going to be that that'll be fun as long as they stay healthy. And if they don't, then it will not be fun for for anybody as they well, will, teams will run the ball down our throats. I you know, Arizona's injury luck is always very good. So I don't know what you're worried about. They'll be ready Jamar for all 13 games next season, maybe 14. We'll say they'll yeah. be ready. Oh, 15, actually, because we'll have the Pac-12 championship game, too. Then the two playoff. Yeah, 15 games. Yeah, uh, that sounds right. Yeah. The, the math tracks. <laughs> it checks out. So, but certainly, Arizona, the one thing you'd like to see is, obviously, you'd like to see Fields and Schooler play every snap if they can. You don't want to see them miss time due to injury. But you would like to see other players step up, whether it's Clark, you know, or whoever it is, Derek Morningby. I know he's more of an outside linebacker. But you'd like to see guys on the field getting some reps there because you don't want to be relying on true freshman next year to be your middle linebacker. So the hope is that whereas you won't need other middle linebackers and schooler fields to play heavy snaps this season. You'd like to see some players get a look there just to get some experience and also play well in that role to give you confidence that they can be that guy next season. Yeah, I think I think the most likely, maybe Pandy, I think Isaiah Johnson was a, a middle linebacker in high school. Um, you know, I could see him moving inside or at least getting some reps there. But segue... To go to the outside linebackers, nice. I think we have a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of uh, guys that their skill set is really more that true edge pass rusher. And I think, you know, this you have, you, you don't necessarily have the sure thing at the starter positions. You know, we talked about some of the guys earlier, like Jalen Harris. Those guys have the potential to be stars. Uh, you have some experience and you also have some younger guys that are intriguing. Uh, you know, so I don't know if it's as... The floor is as high, but I think the ceiling might be just as high, if not higher, for the outside linebackers. Agreed. You know, going down the, you know, going down from uh, seniors to freshmen, you have Anthony Pandy and Kylan Wilborn as seniors. If Kylan Wilborn can go back to the production level he was as a freshman on a normal trajectory, you know, a good that player. guy. What? I think he had eight sacks as a freshman or something silly. He had four in the uh, four in one game. I forget which who that was against, but. You know, then you have Jalen Harris as a red shirt junior. Um, you know, this the scary thing is as an Arizona fan, if he had blows up, you know, does he try to leave for the NFL and or transfer to go to a bigger program? But transferring would we scare got him for me, this leaving year. for the NFL would not. I'd like to see him blow up to where he could leave for the NFL and get drafted. Arizona needs that. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. And then I uh then moving down the, the depth chart, at least in terms of class, you got Isaiah Johnson, who I said might play might play inside some i think he's put on a lot of uh a lot of size so maybe he's you know grown himself into an edge player only um <laughs> and then uh then you got a couple redshirt freshmen let's see uh, let's see if i can do this eddie cmo sunny toa better you than me you're not going to tell me i'm wrong Nope. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it. I'm pretty sure I saw a picture of him on Twitter. It looked like he had uh, blown up a little bit with the, with the good weight. Um, and Quibena Watson was one of those guys that are like those. Those are both guys that you know, similar to what we're talking about in this recruiting class. Like those are the guys that people are saying, "Hey, those could be guys that blow up a little bit if they if things break right for them." So I'm curious to see them get on the field potentially a little bit this year. And then we talked about Jabbar Triplett, who's going to be out for the year with the torn Achilles. And then Derek Morning was a late add to the class that was under-recruited, but some some folks actually think he has pretty good upside. Yeah, I'm uh, I believe he's by a, him. out at Texas, right? When they got, yeah, Texas, when they got him, that was one of those where he said, "This guy is probably better than his ranking." Like, and not in a we hope he's better. It's like legit. Every sign pointed to him being a better player than where he was rated. Yeah, so you know, I'm I would guess that they still, with the amount of players on the outside on the edge right there i think they're probably trying to keep him at four games or under to redshirt regardless um 
but you know, we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully there's no injuries and you don't need to worry about things like that. And people are just getting to go according to plan in terms of getting some experience and still getting a red shirt. Um, but I think if you look at that group, it's kind it's kind of like we've talked about with a couple of position groups. You can, you can talk yourself into seeing the path to success for that group. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, a superstar in there. Maybe, maybe Jalen Harris, if everything breaks right, maybe Kylan Wilborn can turn it on in his senior year and kind of live up to that freshman potential. But you don't, you don't see this as a complete weakness. But then again, you look at the last couple of years and a lot of these guys were struggling to develop a pass rush, right? But yeah. granted, that was a different scheme. Uh, the one guy that excites me the most probably is Pandy. And I said only because Kevin someone mentioned him in that roundtable they had last week when he was asked about some of the differences. He mentioned him by name as someone who was expecting big things that they wanted to get him on the field. And of course, when you have a three four defense, you now you need an extra linebacker. Well, especially from a four two five, but you have more room to get these guys on the field. And Pandy, even last season, a couple of sacks was third on the team in tackles. Like he's not the big name on that defense and comes to linebackers, but he's a guy who's been productive and he has a size, so he has the ability. So that's that's someone that intrigues me from that group, you know, more than some of the other guys. But certainly it seems like there's more, I guess, depth behind the outside linebackers, if not like the, the stars. And I'll use that in quotes because, again, like as much as we like Schooler and Fields, they're not looked at nationally as impact linebackers, like the best linebackers in football or in the country, but they're solid. They're good linebackers. The outside linebackers don't have that, but they may have more depth which at least intriguing depth behind we know what the starters are. So I, it's, it's funny because when we've talked about the defense, we've done the secondary, you know, we're doing the linebackers. Did we, we didn't do defensive line, right? Not yet. No, I think that's, that's the, okay. that's, the that's where one, it gets back. I was going to say, cause right now, <laughs> so far we're like, ah, oh, the corners are good safety. There's some potential if they have players who can, you know, actually play the position. And we're speaking highly of these linebackers, but, the starting lineup, and you've mentioned this before, the starters aren't bad. Arizona's first 11, not bad. Like, not LSU, but they're not bad. Their starters are not a four-win football team. It's just when there's been injuries and when they need the depth, they haven't had that. Linebackers is one of those positions where their starters, the four guys they're likely to put out there week zero against Hawaii, are pretty good. You're going to feel good about those guys. It's just what comes after them, you're going to have a lot of question marks and it's gonna. I'm interested to see if they get answered. If any of those, if any of those guys prove to be better, and you hope so, the guys that this staff has recruited, you hope that they will be the ones who step up. Yeah, don't give away the game too much on talking about the defensive line because I think that's actually going to be maybe, maybe the most interesting depth chart discussion. Ah, we have. see, look at Tune you next turning week. it the other way to yeah. Hey. You're gonna come on next week, like yeah, they're garbage. <laughs> Now they're, they're the, they're, that position group to me is the enigma, um, and the the cause of and solution to all of our defensive problems. Uh, that was a Simpsons paraphrase for mm-hmm. for the lay person out there. I knew you would to get beer. That, Adam. I believe it was to alcohol. Was it to alcohol? Jesus Christ! Get your get your Simpsons quotes right. But <sighs> you know, I I think we'll. I think this is one of the one. This is one of the position groups, the outside guys, where it's it's kind of put up or shut up time for some of these guys. And you know, with Quibena Watson, Derek Morning coming up, Eddie CMO, Sonny Toa. Nice. Like, if you guys aren't producing, thanks, thanks for noticing. <laughs> um, you know, if if Kylan Wilborn is you know has too much of the bad weight, not the good weight, then you know what? All right, then let's give some snaps to the younger guys. But like a fundamental flaw in the defense is we need to have a pass rush and it's reliant on some of these guys to win one-on-one battles. And they didn't consistently do it in the past. We'll see with hopefully better coaching, the new coaching staff that they're, you know, they're hanging their hat on development. I think this is maybe more than any position group where the opportunity for that, you know, development side of things can show up on the field. I agree with that, yeah. And we'll see. Like the you talent know, it, seems to be there, right? There's guys there who have yeah. potential. Yeah, so. and I mean, Kylan, you don't accidentally get eight sacks as a freshman, right? <laughs> like, that's too high of a I number to did. be an accident. Yeah. You know, so 
this is going to be one of the more intriguing position groups to watch, I think, as the season starts, if and when it starts. Um, but, you know, you look at it and you, like I said, you can see your path to success, but also it's, you, you know, seeing is believing, right? It's, you got you to gotta show me the production. And we haven't quite seen that from the, at least the outside linebacker groups. So we'll see. Yeah. To your point, if coaching is going to make a big difference, whether it's scheme or just actual coaching the fundamentals and techniques, this is where this staff could really show what they're worth. Because the, the talent is like, we've seen Wilborn be good. I looked up, he had seven and a half sacks as a freshman, had two as a sophomore, and none last season. Like, but again, to your point, you don't get that many sacks as a freshman accidentally if you don't have some talent. And then we know what the other guys can do too. So, yeah, if this coaching staff really is a good teaching staff and a good scheming staff, that these linebackers will have a very good season. One can hope. A boy can dream. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back from this one, let's do a little bit of mailbag. And we're back, and Brett, we've had a good show so far, I feel like. Gone over some recruiting, which has been positive. Went over the linebackers, which, on the surface, not bad, right? Like, that's nothing to be upset about. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's it's a relatively good news week so far. Let's, yeah. let's ruin that with some mailbag questions. Right. Let's we, we send it out to, to our listeners, uh, to the Wildcat Radio uh, Twitter account, Wildcat Radio AZ. We wanted to just see what people wanted to know. Like, we asked some questions from mailbag. I like this as a weekly segment. And we did get some responses this week with some questions that probably bring us all back down to earth a little bit. If you've been optimistic after listening to the previous 40 minutes or so of this podcast, of this show, this is going to be the part that brings you back to earth. So, Brett, do you have them in front of you? The mailbags. Do you want to go through these? Uh, I was, I was, I was trying to pull them up, but I'm struggling to find them. Do you have them? I do. I was just trying to give you a chance to have a bigger role in the show, but I, I can take this. I, too. I'll, I will wave my tiny punt flag and let you read them. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, I guess the one that probably trumps all possible questions we could have is social distancing. C at KG7MAJ asked us quite simply. Will we have a football season in three months? Very good question. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna parse that question down, Adam. Do it, because I, I think will we have a football season? I think the answer is yes. Will it look like what we're used to seeing? Probably not. Am I gonna be expecting to use my season tickets anytime soon? Probably not. And then will it be in three months? That's the bigger question to me, whether you end up having to delay things a little bit. Um, I think there is too much money for too many people to not find some way to have some semblance of a college football season. Um, you know, how that how that looks, it might be to empty stadiums. It might just be, you know, find creative ways to have fan engagement during the games. But, you know, I, I don't see any way that they don't try to find a way to have the season and I think they're going to try their damnedest. I keep saying they, like with air quotes around it, um, you know, but you need some, you, 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 wear a mask, people. I want to have football in three months. <laughs> I don't right. think, I don't think we're trending in a way that makes it feel positive for starting in, you know, September. And, and that's just it right there. And this is such a loaded question because, Let's just say for the sake of optimism and we like Arizona that every player that comes back to Arizona tests negative when they return and they all do a good job of distancing, wearing masks and everything, and Arizona is able to play. Their entire roster is COVID-free come week zero. That doesn't mean anything for any other program over the country, over the rest of the country, right? Like Arizona's going to be playing Hawaii. Now, Grand Hawaii, I think, is some of the lowest cases in the world it's why wouldn't they i guess but okay now you're assuming that every player on those teams tests negative and i don't know if it's a day before the game two days before the game however that works but the second a team has someone that tests positive everyone around that was around them is going to have to quarantine for two weeks or at least long enough until they decide they can test negative so maybe it's a few days but they say you know symptoms could show up within 14 days so there's so many moving parts here and given that there's no NCAA national plan of how to do this safely, I have a hard time seeing it. And I know I'm the Debbie Downer and the negative Nancy, whatever you want to say. It sounds kind of sexist. Always Debbie Downer or negative Nancy. Is there like a male version of someone who's just pessimistic? 
Huh. Angry Adam. Angry. I don't know. Apathetic. No. But that's a different point for a different podcast. But but it, it it's very difficult to see everything working. And it might be without fans, which you say that's not football like we're used to. I've been to Arizona Stadium. It's not that unrealistic to what we're used to if there's no fans in the stadium. But will it be the case for every team in the country? And it won't be. There's going to be different rules, different policies, and it's hard to see that because they're not going to have the Pac-12 be the only league that plays, right? That's not going to happen. And to your point, they want to play football. They want to make money. Will they make as much money with nobody in the stands? No. At that point, is it worth it? I don't know financially if it's worth it because you don't have people in the stands, but the tests and everything that goes into playing football as safe as you can. I saw there was a company that was making these NFL helmets that were like basically masks and everything, like shielded helmets, and it's like they looked cool, whether people would want to wear them. Like, is that the way to do it? Like, do you have to test everybody on the team the night before the game? Or do you have the rapid tests right before you play that game that day? Everyone gets tested. You know, like, there's so many moving parts and so many things that have to happen where in three months' time, who knows? Maybe we get lucky there's a vaccine. But that's, again, not not, not likely happening. Not likely. (laughs) And that's the absolute best-case scenario. So I, I do agree with you, Brett. At some point, football will be played what it looks like and when it starts i have no idea but three months i if everyone was on the same page if every state was on the same page with their guidelines and doing a good job and every team was on the same page with the same guidelines and doing a good job you can maybe see that and that's why i think was it a a month or two ago people were like okay the cases are trending down maybe we can get there well now they're trending back up we're recording on wednesday i think i read that the u.s has now peaked again in cases like since it all started so that's not the right trajectory. So whereas six weeks ago, we might have said, yeah, we're only moving in the right direction for sports. Now we're moving in the wrong direction. And the only thing that's going to bring sports back right now would be people's desire to have sports, which doesn't mean it's safe. It just means they want sports. Yeah, and I think you've touched on something that's a really, really big wild card here is that, you know, the NCAA cannot overrule state governments, right? <laughs> Like early on in the spring, people were talking about how, oh, the California schools are just not going to be open and you're not going to be able to have football games there. Are they going to go play in Arizona? Yeah. And now because California approached things differently than Arizona did, (laughs) that situation might be reversed where, you know, maybe people aren't wanting to come or come to Arizona or accept people traveling from Arizona to their state. Well, that's because they're Um, afraid of playing the Wildcats, of course. Clearly. (laughs) They're they're afraid of that new defensive coaching staff. Um, so you know, I I think personally, my if I was gonna if I'm gonna pick what I think is the most likely outcome, and I don't even think that this is a majority percentage of likelihood. I think it's like a plurality. I think it maybe the season starts on time, but I think there's damn near zero chance there's fans in the stands. Um, you know. Think about how packed it is just going through turnstiles and security and how, you know, Arizona Stadium, where my tickets are, there's no, there's not separated seats. It's just bench. And that's, that's the way it is across the country at a lot of schools, right? There's, and how do you get people to enter the stadium in a way that maintains social distancing, let alone operate during the, the game without people being on top of each other or, it's you know there's no there's no easy answers there and boy I'm sh- you know not to be the cynic but I'm sure none of these schools want to be on the receiving end of some lawsuit for somebody that gets infected at one of their football games yeah or any of the staff that works there right that are making ten dollars an hour s- serving hot dogs and something to keep in mind too at football as we know it tailgating the communal aspect a full house if we're lucky that's football. You know, is it going to be the same? Now, we can watch it on TV, sure. And I'd, I'd rather watch TV or football on TV with no fans in the stands than not have football at all. Like, of course. Like, I, I'm fine with that. I watch most of the games on TV anyway. But it would be very, very different. So the next three months, we'll see what happens. Like, there's a lot that can happen. Hopefully, things start trending in the right direction again. And they can. I wonder if, what if they do the schedule. They change it where teams are playing every other week. So you basically have 14 days between each game. Like that totally messes with a schedule and makes a season twice as long. But you could, in theory, do that 
and maybe because if it's every two weeks, figure it's 14 days between each game, and then anyone who tests positive is going to test positive from the pre- – I don't know. Like, it's – we're not paid to figure those things out. We're not epidemiologists. We're not doctors. We're not scientists. We're not in the athletic department. But there's certainly some work to do. Got another question here. Brett, did you get yours pulled up? Do you want to jump in here or – it's on me again. Sure. It? Oh, you got I, it. I okay, can do, do it. I can do it. Will, will we – this is from – JW at J Wright 602. Will we win more than three games in the Pac 12, assuming there's a season? Does Kevin someone survive the season? JW Wright, that is two questions in one, but we will accept it. Yeah, no, I like the efficiency there. And to some degree, the second question is related to the first question. Because if Arizona does not win more than three games in the Pac 12, then Kevin someone does not survive the season, with the caveat of if Arizona can't afford to fire him, then I guess he survives. But if, if you've been listening to us, and I assume, J.W., you have been listening to us, we're somewhat optimistic about Arizona going into the season more so than a lot of others are. I guess three Pac-12 games, and I'm pulling up the schedule right now. I guess who's Arizona miss this year? They miss, uh, I think, Cal and Washington State, I believe, are the schools that Arizona misses yeah, this season. I believe that's right. So... Do they get three Pac-12, three wins over Stanford, UCLA, Colorado, USC, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Oregon State, Arizona State? I think they can get three there. Stanford at home is doable. At UCLA should be doable. Versus Colorado, for some reason, Arizona always beats Colorado now. Makes no sense. And then you're saying at Oregon State versus ASU? I guess if the over-under was three and a half, well, the question was more than three games, right? Will we win more than three games? You can't push. I know. <laughs> I'd say win against Stanford, win against Colorado, and win against ASU. But that's only three. I so think you can win no. at Oregon State. I think you can win at Oregon State. But I don't trust road games, especially over teams that kicked the crap out of you the year before homecoming. <sighs> yeah, I don't either. But we got we can't agree all the time, Adam. I'll, I will say yes. <laughs> Now, will does Kevin Sumlin survive the season in the context of coronavirus? That's a very inappropriate question. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, I went dark there. You. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, you can't see Adam Green with a full-on face palm. We can edit this out, Adam. <laughs> I'm not sure if we should. We'll leave that to Bryant. <laughs> Uh, Isn't that it, though? You have to laugh. With with the Pac-12, like, if, say, Arizona wins three Pac-12 games, they beat Hawaii, Portland State, and then Texas, they have to win, I guess, all three of their non-conference games to make a bowl game. Will they beat Hawaii at home? Probably. Will they beat Portland State? They damn well better. At Texas Tech, that's a tough one. I think they, if you, if you expect to be a bowl team, you need to win that game. Uh, Just like, I think you gotta, you gotta take care of business against Colorado at home. I think ASU at home is a winnable game. ASU is going to be a decent team, but you're at you're at home and it's a rivalry game. I think Oregon State on the road is going to be a challenge. I think that's almost like the the yin to the yang of the Texas Tech game, right? Uh, and UCLA on the road, I, you know, I who knows with UCLA, man. Yeah. The, the players don't particularly seem to be behind Chip Kelly. Stanford at home. You know, something's been going on at Stanford for a while with all the the transfers out. I think that's a winnable game. Stanford hasn't been in Tucson in a few years, right? Because they missed them for two years, and last year was at at the farm. And would have been a game Arizona would have won if Costello didn't play. But, of course, he had to return for that one. Yeah, uh, I don't don't feel good about at Washington. I don't feel good about USC at Arizona. I don't feel good about Oregon at Arizona. At Utah doesn't feel good. It doesn't. At Utah has that, that... that weird thing where if you know we're usually good for one game we shouldn't win per year for some for some reason it seems to be utah a decent amount the last 10 which years which game was that last season that was not that game last season say, which <laughs> game was that last season if Arizona was good for one game they shouldn't have won was it at colorado it was oregon the year before yeah it was it was that oregon game where uh um justin herbert was not a top 10 NFL draft pick quarterback. And Khalil Tate was? Eh. <laughs> let's, let's not go crazy. <laughs> but that's, 
That's a really good question, though, just because if, like, I'm bullish on Arizona being better than a lot of people think. And even I'm looking at the schedule saying, do I see four Pac-12 wins? And now I'm going to say, well, if I don't, then I see a five-win season. Six if we're lucky, right? If everything no. goes right, which is a really thin margin. So, so thank you for this question because it had me rethink my optimism and that maybe Arizona will be improved, but doesn't mean they're going to win seven games if that if that's a good cop-out. I think it is. Yeah, I think I think this is a backing into are they going to be bowl eligible question, right? And I I think they get there. How they get there, I don't. It's you know I'm not so sure. But but I'm going to be the optimist this time and and say yes. Yeah. Well, there's how many bowl games are there in total? What's the number? Do we know? Eleven billion. So given that at least. We'll say a third of the teams in college football won't be able to be eligible because they'll have too many players who get coronavirus and they won't play enough games. If Arizona can stay healthy, by default, the two sweetest words in the English dictionary, they will make a bowl game. Look at you pulling a deep cut Simpsons reference. Had to redeem myself. Brett, we got one more (laughs) mailbag question for this week. You got it in front of you? No, this is on you. All right. This is PMART1121 at the underscore dude1121. What do the Wildcats need to do in order to be a program that can consistently win seven to nine plus games a year? Well, the dude eleven twenty one. I assume you're talking about basketball. They just have to show up. <laughs> I'm kidding. I I understand this is a football question, and it's an interesting one because to me, the goal for Arizona football is four out of every five seasons you should be in a bowl game. So we'll say seven wins, four out of every five game years, and one of those four you should be competing for a Pac twelve South title. You should have one class that that's that's your year. I'm not saying Arizona should be a 10-win team or a 9-win team. I'd take bowl games. It's Arizona football where they're at right now. I could live with that. And Rich Rodriguez was there, to be honest. Like, he had the one really bad season where everyone was hurt, but he was making bowl games and had a Pac-12 South title. Would I love to see better than that? Yes. And at some point when you're winning seven games a year and only seven games a year, I'll be on board and say, you need to fire that coach and get the guy who can take you to the next level. Like, that's a thing. But I don't think Arizona needs to do much to be a seven-win program every year. Nine wins, they got to win seven games a bunch with the right coaching staff who recruits the right talent. And if this coaching staff can start winning, I think they could be the type that could recruit the talent to get you there because they're going to be able to recruit NFL-caliber talent. But it's hard to win nine games a year every year, not just for schools like Arizona. Unless you're like the elite of the elite, there are down years. But I'd like for Arizona's down year to be a seven-win season or a six-win season and not a four-win season. I'm reminded of a Texas A&M friend who was, uh, shall we say, bad-mouthing the Kevin Sumlin hire. And he's like, enjoy going 8-4 and four every year. And I said, they'll build a damn statue out of him <laughs> if he goes 8-4 and four every year. Right. <laughs> and I was not being sarcastic. Um, yeah, it's, you know, we've talked about it before. I, th- I, I think the difference between a four-win team and a seven-win team is not nearly the difference that it is between a seven win team and a nine win team. Right. You know, and I, 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 I would raise my, I think your, your, your hope or expectation uh, for what the type of program that Arizona can be in the long run, I would raise it a little bit and be, and say that you should be in a bowl game every year, not just four out of five years. But I think really, you know, you should always be competitive, be a bowl team. And then, a you know, have the occasional time where you can be the ones that compete for the Pac-12 South and beyond, right? Yeah. And that's where you need things to align a little bit, you know. And the way you do that is you have that high success rate on the recruits. And I, I'm i not just saying this as a homer or being a someone apologist, but, like, I, I like the high three-star Texas recruit mentality to be able to be that program that's going to get to a bowl game regularly, Right. You know, you might not you might not get to the nine wins as quickly, but you need to have that base and that depth. And then hopefully you can, you know, get a couple stars in there. Like, you know, so, you know, someone had Mike Evans at A&M and people talked about Johnny football. But Mike Evans, in my opinion, made Johnny football a better look a lot better statistically because yeah. Johnny Manziel would just heave the ball up there and Mike Evans would just go get it between three guys. Right. And that's where. You know, to go from seven to nine wins, that's where you need to have those star players that are the differentiators. You know what I mean? You need the Scooby Wrights. You need Kadeem Carries. You need, 
you know, the four or five star recruits occasionally that, that really show up. Yeah. Um, and so, and we're not there yet. Let's be real. Right. We have some, no. we have some intriguing talent. <laughs> Hot take. We're not a seven or a nine one team right now. <laughs> and watch me fast forward to however many months it is until the football season ends. Arizona's competing for the Pac-12 South title at nine or 10 wins. <laughs> I mean, I will be the first one on that bandwagon. <laughs> um, but you know, it's I. It, I think the real the the heart of the question is what do you need to do to get there, right? And I think that's where we talk about you need to have. To me, that means you need to have depth. You can't just swing for the fences on every recruit. You need to have these classes where you build that base, you build the the lines. You build, you know, I'm a crotchety old man now that really believes in building your football team from the lines out, right? You know, a star wide receiver ain't going to do anything if you your quarterback's getting sacked in two seconds, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I generally like, you know, it's it's not necessarily everything's going perfectly so far in terms of the, the, the trusting the process, the plan for Kevin Sumlin, but you can see what they're doing, and I generally, I, I think it's going to be an underappreciated uh, plan to date, and maybe maybe it doesn't equate to anything more than six wins or you know, whatever this year, but it's where you can see it as a building block. And to me, that's what you need to do each year and then try to add in, you know, three to five star players that that's what differentiates and makes you competitive in those, like you said, those years where you compete for the Pac-12 South title. Um, and that's, and that's where success begets success, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, that's what I was going to say is that, you generally don't get to nine wins before you win seven. And I understand, like, the math. You don't get to nine with that. But it's like you have to be a team that can win seven games a year before you can get to be nine wins. And the difference between seven, once you were consistently at seven, then you are a – like, Arizona won, I think, what, eight and eight, Richard's first two seasons because they won their bowl games the first two. So you get to eight wins in those years. like, okay, then you have the year where you win ten games and make it to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, they went. They Sorry, won their eight first – I think eight and eight – Eight and eight sounds like no. They won eight NFL games their first the first two years of Rich Rodriguez. That's <laughs> okay. eight. I was and like eight. I'm like we did, we didn't hire Jeff Fisher. He always goes eight <laughs> and eight. But you get there, and then you have you have your base, and then the right things go right for you. New Solomon comes in. You have Nick Wilson as a freshman. Scooby Wright has a monster season. You can get a couple of breaks and really close wins, and you get to ten. And it, it's cyclical and. The unfortunate thing for Arizona was they weren't able to build off of that success, that early success. Rich Rodriguez, for whatever reason, could not sustain that. You have to get there first. And if Kevin Sumlin and this staff can prove that they can win, which will allow them to stick around, which takes us back to the other question, if he survives the season, if that happens, then you're more likely to get those top-flight recruits, the ones that you need to go from that seven-win team to that nine-win team. The problem is, like, unless you get that just amazing coach who – you pluck the assistant coach or you're someone that comes in and just is the next Urban Meyer and you get him, you know, and builds you that program, it's really hard. And Arizona historically has gone for the retreads. And that's not the worst thing. Other schools have done it and had some success. You know, Mike Stoops was not a retread. He was the hot shot coordinator. And they were better with him, but they still never got to be a you know seven consistent seven and nine win team. So if you're going to go with guys like Kevin, someone who have had success, like to your friend's point, like, yeah, we would spill the statue for Kevin Sullivan if he won eight games a season. Like, that would be the most successful coach. I mean, you know, Dick Tomey was pretty good. But at this point, Arizona football, you would take eight wins every year and be very happy. But until you can do that, it's going to be hard to do that. And I know that seems kind of a weird thing to say, but you have to prove you can win games before you can get the talent who wants to go win games. You have to prove you can win games and get guys to the NFL before you can get guys who want to win games and go to the NFL. So it could start this season. If Arizona wins six, seven games, and Grant Gannell looks like an NFL-type quarterback who some guys would want to play with, and this defensive staff shows that they can recruit and they can coach and they can scheme, and then players say, you know what, I can go play for that team, you know, play for that coaching staff, and find myself in the NFL after winning some games in college, then you start to build. But for the Kevin Sumlin era, obviously to win five games and then four games, they didn't go five and four. They went, you know, five and four wins. It's hard to it's hard to do that. It's hard to have that faith, which to our point early in the early in the show, some players should be buying in, which is good. But it's a lot easier to get the best players to buy in when you can show them tangible proof that, hey, 
come to Arizona, you're going to win, and you're going to go to the NFL. Yeah, and if you're going to go with retreads, you know, as you to, to take your term, you need to have some consistency in results. Otherwise, you're always living on borrowed time, right? Yeah. And the, the converse of that is if you hire the, the hot shot, I, I love when fans freak out and be like, oh, we're going to, if he's great, he's going to get hired away in two years and then we're going to be having to hire a coach again, right? And that's some people's mentality. And it's like, if somebody hires away your hot shot coach, you're getting paid a buyout and therefore you can, and not having to pay the buyout guys, now you can also go hire the next hot shot coach. Like you probably yeah, want, like, if they're going to poach Arizona's coach, which is a power five school, a Pac-12 school, it's going to be an LSU, an Alabama, a Michigan. Yeah, you know, one of those top-tier programs is going to be taking your coach. It's it's like the people that complain about, all these guys are just one and done and lottery picks. It's like, well, that's good. Like, so <laughs> you know, like you, people are, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those funny things that I don't think people think through all the way. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think there's an... There's a path to success for someone, but I think, and he can be that person. I think that gets to that consistent program, but you better show it in the first five, six weeks next season, or there ain't going to be another season. I I think that's a really good way to put that. So, thank you, the the underscore dude eleven twenty one for that question. We we all wanted to get there, you know that we all want to see Arizona get to that level, and it it's not impossible. As the great Kevin Garnett once said, anything is possible. And this, too, is possible. Arizona's been in a Pac-12 title game, won 10 games in this decade. Well, in the last decade. I don't know if it's considered this decade with 2020. I, I don't know. Years and time and whatever. It doesn't mean anything anyway. But it could happen. But anyway, thank you to everyone who submitted some questions for our mailbag. Again, the Twitter account is at Wildcat Radio AZ. So Wildcat Radio 2.0 Twitter handle. Anytime you want to send a question, you can send it into that account or... You can send to Brett and myself. Brett is uh, at Brett D. Barry. Pretty simple. And I'm at the Adam Green. If you have any questions or thoughts about Wildcat football, but send them to Wildcat Radio AZ. That's the account that gets us, and we'll do this mailbag thing every week. But otherwise, I think I think that's about it, Brett. What do you say? Yeah, I think so. Thanks for the questions. Those were very good questions this week. Yeah, we definitely appreciated those. Not that the questions we got the previous week were bad questions, but these were... These were really I mean, good questions. Adam, I'm trying to neg those guys to ask better questions next week. Why do you always ruin my negging? Because I like our listeners. I want to be nice. Well, I do they don't deserve to be negged. What's the opposite of negged? Praised? Paused. Paused? <laughs> I'm trying to pause our listeners. For <laughs> but <laughs> before we keep going down this rabbit hole, which is no certainly not going to end well for either of us. Uh, <laughs> Thank you again for the questions, everyone. Thank you for listening. As always, stay safe out there. Stay healthy. Wear your masks. Socially distance. Let's get through this. And always remember to bear down. Bear down.